0: Hi, I'm David Legere of Woodhall Press, and you're tuned in to publish this over lunch. Uh, Today, we're talking with writer Brooke Adams-Law. Brooke is a writer and writing teacher uh, based in Connecticut. She leads online workshops for writers from around the world. Her debut novel, Catch Light, was published last month, which is also the winner of the Fairfield University Book Prize. You can learn more about her work and connect with her here on Instagram at Brooke Adams-Law. Brooke, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm pumped.
0: All right. So uh, I ask this pretty much every week because I I just I love the posit I love the positivity. I've heard some of the similar answers. It's kind of like a theme, uh, but it's still for me. It's something uh, I just love hearing is uh, what have you found inspiring in the literary world uh, in 2020?
1: yeah I'm sure a lot of people have pointed to this but just like seeing how everyone has like moved online like without missing a beat and they're like they're doing interviews like this and people are doing online readings and online author events and I think it's been really fun and exciting um and also like this isn't it's like a little bit of a jump but my favorite book of 2020 so far that I've read is by Ariel Lahan and it is a historical novel called codename Helene and I'm gonna interview her in a couple of months and it was one of those things where i'm like i feel like i don't know if she would have said yes if it wasn't like everyone was doing virtual events um <laughs> so i feel like that level of like being able to connect with some of your favorite writers i think has made 2020 makes it possible so that's been pretty cool
0: yeah i couldn't agree more it's that uh online community that's been able to build uh, be built because of uh COVID. So it is an odd, an odd dynamic. There are these positives, uh, but being able to talk to anybody around the world. I mean, I've talked with everybody in uh, you know, Europe. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Darian Suji based in Hawaii. I mean, so this um, idea that we're able to communicate with anybody now around the world. Before, uh, you know, we often had in our minds, we had to do these interviews always in person, right? So a lot of times yep. you just see local authors. Uh, and it is, it's broadening out, which is super exciting. Definitely, agreed. All right, so tell us more about your debut novel, Catchlight. Uh, what's this about? Why write it?
1: Yeah. So Catch Light is about a family of four grown siblings. They can't stand each other. <laughs> They're like always getting into fights at family events and stuff like that. And when their mother is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, they really have this moment of like, how do we come together? Not only to take care of her, but like to be back in relationship with each other, like as a family and also to make a lot of these really big, like logistical decisions that have to happen. Right. So decisions about her health and her care decisions about her house and her finances right there's all these things that need to be decided so yeah I wrote it just to kind of explore like this question of who are we without our memory and like how does a family deal with this kind of like it's not like a quick tragedy where someone dies quickly but it's like they call Alzheimer's the long goodbye right and so I was like how does a family deal with this tragedy that unfolds slowly over time
0: yeah was there a moment where you just had the epiphany for the idea? Like, do you mm-hmm. remember, you know, like I was uh, watching Back to the Future the other night, because of course i like, and it's like the flux capacitor when I <laughs> smashed my head on and, and the toilet, and then I just woke up with this vision. Did you have a moment where you conceived of the idea?
1: Yeah, so when... I graduated from college. My grandmother had unfortunately just passed away due to complications from Alzheimer's disease. And so I had been thinking about that and sort of how my own family dealt with it. And I was reading this book at the time um called The Severed Wasp which is by Madeline Lingle and that book is about this woman who's in her 80s and she retires she was a concert pianist and so she traveled the world like playing concerts and playing with orchestras and she returns home to New York and she retires and she's like very consciously um, reflecting on her past experiences and really just like making meaning of her life, and I started asking myself this question: like, what happens at the end of your life if you don't have the opportunity to do that, right? To integrate all the experiences you've had, and I really did ask this question: like, who are we without our memory at the end of our life if we don't have these memories to look back on? Like, who are you? And so that's that would that's what gave me the idea for the book: is like, what if we had this fictional family who's dealing with this event that my family had gone through, but and also like playing with this idea of memory and like, who are you if you can't remember your own experiences?
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Cause you know, the idea of being robbed of your memory is perhaps the, the scariest because, you know, I, I was just ta- talking to a class about this recently that if you have the, the right, you know, uh, knowledge, right. You, you've got degrees, you've, you've, you've learned, you've grown. You could take that person and put them in any situation. You could take everything to Close off their back and put them in a situation, and yet because of their accumulated knowledge they 'll not only survive they'll thrive, but if totally. you take away that accumulated knowledge, you can oh that's just so scary that, right that's, that's something so that kind of gets me to this idea of you know petulte does center around alzheimer 's disease. Uh, what research did you do while writing this? and you know how important is uh, research uh, as a writer yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people have asked me this, like if, so the the mother in the book is named Catherine and they were like, oh, is Catherine just sort of based on your grandmother's like case? Like, does she have a lot of the same symptoms? And I was like, no, it's totally made up. Right. It's totally made up and just researched. Right. Um, And yeah, I did do research about Alzheimer's and like different drugs that people would be on different treatment plans, like, and different, just like things that like people would use. Right. So there's one part in the book where they have to get a door alarm because she'll try to like escape. She'll try to leave the house. Like, and you know, whoever's there with her, like might not know right away. Um, and I think there was a piece too. And there's like weird research that you wouldn't necessarily even like have thought of. So there's one character, James who's one of the narrators. And, um, There's an issue where he has a minor legal issue, right? And so I did some research on, like, okay, like, it said in Rhode Island, like, what kind of, like, trial would he have to go to? What would a sentence be, right? Like, so just, like, things like that that at first, like, it takes up a very small part of the novel. But, like, I wanted it to feel realistic that it wasn't, like... That it wasn't like a TV show where it's like just like very convenient of like, oh, and then he goes to this and the trial's the next day. It's like, no, the trial's not going to be the next day. It's going to be like six or eight weeks later, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's really important <laughs> to answer your question of like doing your research and also like, I think sometimes having someone look from the outside who has different knowledge and different skill sets than yours to kind of like see the places where what you've written has holes in it so like for example so chris madden of course was my editor and when he read the manuscript he came back to me and he was like look like you have this scene where two of the characters are doing like a habitat for humanity build and he was like the whole part where they're putting up drywall is incorrect he was like this is wrong (laughs) like he was like go watch some youtube videos about how to put up drywall and like try again <laughs> right so like even like small things like that and like even like there's a part where they go to a baseball game and he was like these two teams wouldn't be playing each other because they're in different leagues and he was like try like you know like go back and like see like figure out who they would actually play right so I think it's really helpful again to have like readers who have that different like knowledge and skill set and can be like actually this thing that you thought you were just writing and you didn't even think about it like you need to you know try again <laughs>
0: Well, Chris, anybody listening, um, Chris Madden is, uh, you know, uh, a phenomenal developmental editor. And one of his secret abilities is uh, obscure knowledge of just mm-hmm. about everything. So, yeah, he'll yes. notice the little details on the drywall. And that's so important as a writer because yes. writing all in the details. yes. Uh,
1: Yeah. And actually, one more thing about that. So the other one of the other things that Chris suggested was just so perfect is so Laura, who's another of the narrators, um, her her love interest in the book is named Jonah. And I had in there that he was a fish fan. And so at the end they go to a concert they go to a fish concert and he wears like a fish t-shirt and Chris was like he is not obsessed enough he needs to be more obsessed with fish and he was like go on some fish message boards right and like he's like he needs to be quoting fish lyrics he needs to be like talking about like the best live shows that he's seen and I swear to God two of my girlfriends have texted me and been like my husband loves fish and I read him this part about Jonah like quoting the line and like and he was cracking up right so people were just like totally resonating with that part so i was so grateful that he like pushed oh, me God. to take that a little bit farther because it really made a big difference
0: it is it's it's, it's the, the idea of because why do we read in the first place right it's uh, mm-hmm. a form of a state it's a lot of things but what you want to do is you want to enter the world that you're reading and yeah. those details are what allow us to enter that world without it you know, it, it's like it's just you dip your toe in, but you can never really submerge, uh, submerge yeah. into the water. Uh, so that's fascinating. And I love that the, the details behind this. You know, Stephen King, when he wrote uh, From a Buick 8, actually rode around with the Maine Police Department for, I think, like six months. Wow. Just knowing what it's like to be a Maine cop. And yeah. I, I thought that was – I love that. I love that when people, you know, as a writer, you take that leap. But even the concept of Alzheimer's, right, is a not new concept. But how long ago, you know, like think back to your grandparents. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember as a kid when I would hear about grandparents that were, you know, clearly suffering from Alzheimer's. It was oh, they're just old. You know, Mm -hmm. it was never really diagnosed. It was never Mm -hmm. talked about. It was just like oh, you get old, you forget things, and that's it is. Yeah, yeah. so I love that you know what you've done with this book is you're 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 bringing light to a, a really serious issue,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and you did it thoughtfully. And it, you it kind of gets into this idea of, you know, as a, a writer, you know, you draw from this well of inspiration. Obviously, you know, your your grandmother. You know, how much of Catchlight is based on your experience beyond. You know, just the direct, immediate. Like, did you draw from other areas of your life? Is your like, is somebody reading this going, oh, I think that's me. She wrote about. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Well, the, so the funny thing is that, like, almost nothing in the book is true. Like, actually happened. Like, all the the whole plot is like totally made up. All the characters are totally made up, except for one. So the one character who's based on a real person is Laura and James's stepfather, Bill, is based on my great-uncle, who was like, he was like my grandfather. So he was my grandmother's boyfriend. My grandma, this is my other grandmother, not the one that that had Alzheimer's. And she decided she never wanted to get married again. So they were together for like 40 years, but they never got married. So in any case, Bill was based on, you know, my great-uncle. And just like, he just showed up one day... like, exactly as I remember him and, like, wearing a plaid shirt and, like, just, like, being, like, this gruff, like, loving presence. And I was just like, oh, my God, he's going to be in the book, right? So he's, like, the only person that's real. But it's really interesting the reaction that, like, friends and family have had of, like, people like cousins and friends like calling and texting me and being like oh my god like my one cousin was like is James my brother and I was like no no he's really not (laughs) right so um it's been interesting to see like where other people see similarities that like I didn't intend um but I would say the only there are like very small parts that are based on my own experience where like Like Laura will have a memory of like a trip she took to Scotland in college. And like, that was a real memory. So I did have a friend was like, oh, that was me on the beach with you in Scotland. And I was like, yeah, okay, that was true. Uh, But mostly, mostly it's kind of, it's completely imagined, but kind of like, you know, layering in, like, I know we all talk about using the clay of our own life. And so it's kind of like layering in um, some of those experiences to just like round it out and make it feel more real.
0: It's fascinating to think about, you, know, you, you could probably get this all the time, right? As a fictional writer, it seems like everybody assumes that fiction is nonfiction because also, <laughs> you know, nonfiction is a medium a lot of people are, are very comfortable writing in. Nonfiction so popular. So people automatically assume whenever they read something fictionalized uh, that, oh, it must be, you know, based on their experiences. But I actually find some of my favorite authors uh, choose to actually write. From no experience whatsoever, and it's mm-hmm. you know like I'm like oh that's just incredible. They wrote about being you know for instance uh, you brought up fishing right uh, about being a, a seafood fisherman right like at sea mm-hmm. sixty years old and like you know I'm just like oh that's the world they create. Uh, so for me I, I love fiction. I, I love nonfiction too, but I do have I love fiction.
1: Yeah, it's so fun, and it's it is like like I had one of my friends is also a writer, and she writes nonfiction. She's like, I don't know how you like make so much stuff up, and I was like, I don't know how you stick to like reality. (laughs) Like we were having this (laughs) whole like incomprehension of just like ah, so you know we carry on.
0: (laughs) Like the balancing act. Like one week I like to do like you know a creative uh, Mm -hmm. nonfiction, just to you know get myself in it, and then the another week I just might want to write a little short piece on, you know, what it might be like to uh, travel to Mars. Right? Like I just love reading about everything going on and being like, what what would it be like? Uh, In fact, you know, I was having fun writing a short stories was probably about a year ago. So when I say recently, but a year (laughs) ago, but it was on the concept of uh, what would it be like uh, to be selected to go to Mars? Because you remember there was that push that they sent out a while back where you got like a ticket on um, some people got selected to go to Mars, and I just was mm-hmm. like, oh. but, all right, so, you know, staying on this topic of the journey of the publication, uh, what did it look like from day one? You know, you entered into the Fairfield University Book Prize, you won it, and now you've got this book out in the world. What was your journey like from the beginning?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, so first of all, I like to tell the story like from from like back it up a few phases because I finished writing Catch Light in 2014 and I was like, you know, querying like 125 literary agents. I was pitching small presses. I was entering contests. Right, the first time that I entered the Fairfield Book Prize was in 2017, and I didn't even make the finalist round. <laughs> and I was like, ah! But so I decided to enter again in 2019, and and that's when the book won, and of course got the book deal with Woodhall Press. And it just like the day that I found out, I was just like sobbing because I was like, it gets to come out into the world, right? Of like, it's been like complete for a long time and so it's just been like such an incredible journey to get to talk to people who have read it and just be like i feel like you see me for the first time almost like some of these people right of like like i worked on this book like so diligently for so long and so getting to then have people meet these characters that i love so much has been really satisfying
0: yeah and it's incredible that you know you published this you know you, you wrote this in 2014 and it wasn't getting picked up. And yet, I mean, it's, since it's been published, I mean, it is, has been performing very strong. It's, it's re- receiving uh, uh, awards, it's being accredited. Everybody loves this book. And yet, if you went back in time, right? The publishers that didn't pick it up, the agents that didn't mm-hmm. want it, you have to say to yourself, uh, you know, why? You know, like I always love to look back on, at these decisions because think of the first thing you ever had published. I have a short story that uh, got published a year to the date for the rejection is hilarious and i keep the mm-hmm. rejection one year later didn't change a thing in it yes. got accepted didn't change anything got accepted loved it good to go and it's fascinating to me how you know especially publishing it's just filled with all these opinions and mm-hmm. some of these opinions mean something but in the end who what really matters is what readers think and yeah that's why
1: yeah <laughs> And I'm just like so gratified by it, like every time, because, and I think it's in some ways I'm grateful for the experience I had because it makes me appreciate even more when people appreciate the book. Like it's not like, but and also what I like to tell it from the beginning is that people are like, oh, like it's such a success, and I'm like, and it's like seven years in the making, um, which is beautiful. So <laughs> here well, we are.
0: <laughs> you you know what? It published when it needed to publish, right? Yeah, It, totally. it Had the right time, and in fact. The fact, the fact that it lasted seven years, that's mm-hmm. important to note because publishing in 2020 is very different from even publishing seven years ago. The book might totally. not have found the audience. Uh, yeah. Social media wasn't the same. You've had different mm-hmm. avenues to promote the book. And yep. that's one of the biggest things I would say with 2020, in, if I was going to say in the literary community, yes, the bonding is great. But what we're seeing is that there's more avenues now for yep. a writer to get their work found. Totally, And, and that's a, a really wonderful thing. The doors are opening in a way that yeah. they've never been opened.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. I love it's that. Cool. All right. So, you know,
0: what has always impressed me is your uh, talent for promotion, self-promotion. Uh, you are just putting this book out in the world in a tremendous way. So what can you say about your book launch and kind of making yourself into a brand, right? You're, you educate writers from all over the world. So how have you, just give us some tips. What do you think? <laughs> the broad yeah.
1: broad. so the first thing I want to say is I think that um that self-promotion and marketing is actually not a talent, but a skill. And it's a skill that I've worked really hard to acquire. So I started my, I run an online business and I started it about two, two years ago and changed like two years ago in a few months. And so I've been studying online marketing for like two and a half, three years. Right. And so I've been able to use all those skills that I've gained in order to like set the book up really well. But I think it's important to note that like anyone can learn this. It's not like, oh, like Brooke is just really good at promoting promoting. promoting herself, but like anyone can, like anyone can do it. Like it's totally possible. Right. So I think a few tips, um, like a few things I've learned that have worked well is the first thing was I used something called a strategy called a launch team, which actually a friend of mine who's in publishing gave me this idea. And it's my favorite thing that I've done so far. And so the idea of a launch team is you literally gather like 40 to 50 people who are like in your corner. So it could be like family members, friends. Like if you have like a social media presence, it could be people that follow you on social or people on your email list. If you have one, all that stuff. Um, but basically they're the people that are like really excited, the book is coming out, and you kind of mobilize them. They get to, in this case, like in exchange for buying, pre ordering a copy, they got early access to the ebook and then so they got some gifts in exchange for then posting a review like the day the book came out right and posting about it on social media so it was so fun to like for me even to like have it's almost like a soft launch so to get to have like 30 people like read it before the book came out and starting to hear like I mean of course a lot of them were my friends so they were gonna say nice things maybe anyway but like it was really nice to like have that kind of like runway almost so that was really a lot of fun and I feel like they have just been champions for the and people are like texting me and emailing me and they're like, Oh, I just bought five copies for people for Christmas or like someone's coworker just read the book and someone's and right. So it's just been really fun to kind of like have that concentric circles. And I feel like that's not hard. It's just like the people that already know and love you. And it's just kind of like mobilizing them to like literally be on your team. And I think one other thing that has been really fun for me is being on podcasts so i pitched myself to be on a bunch of podcasts and i think the most exciting thing for me has then been like creating relationships with some of the people who host some of the podcasts that I was on. So for example, um, I did a podcast interview with this woman, Zippy Owens, who hosts a podcast called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And she's interviewed, I mean, some of the most famous authors of our time. Like the person, the episode immediately previous to mine was Nicholas Sparks. Like, I mean, this is the level of person that she's like interviewing. So um, So in any case, she also writes for the Good Morning America blog. And so she featured Catchlight on the Good Morning America blog for books that were coming out in October, right? So um, you never know, like, when you form a relationship with someone, like, what opportunities are going to come out of it. So that's been really fun for me, too.
0: That's the dirty word that I talk about on some episodes called networking. And people, Uh. like, I get, like, this weird pushback because... That networking can have a, a negative connotation because is, is it's usury is how people mm-hmm. think of it and I said actually flip it on its head and actually look at it as forming organic friendship yeah. with people yeah. that may or may not actually you know do something in the future that benefit you both but you're just forming connections that's all it is yes. it doesn't have to be this like dirty. Like, all right,
1: help me out. Yeah. yeah, no. And it's not this weird thing, right? Where like you like are always asking the person, right? So like with Zippy, for example, like we did our interview, but I also like just follow her on social media. And so she had an article out in the Washington Post that I thought was a really good article. So I shared it and she was really grateful. She had a tragedy in her family. I sent her like an e-card, like in sympathy, right? So it's just like being like a person. Like, it's not like I'm always like, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Like, no, it's just like a give and take relationship like anything else. So, yeah, I love what you're saying. It's just like that organic kind of friendship style. It's, I
0: can't emphasize that enough because I get this too, too often, especially on LinkedIn nowadays, everybody, strangers think that you owe them your time. Uh, yeah. You don't know anything about them, but they're like, hey, uh, next Wednesday, 2 o'clock, let's talk. <laughs> I'm like, like, I don't even know no. who you are. We're going to talk? Yeah, set aside two hours. We're going to talk.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> like, that's not happening.
0: <laughs> that's not happening. But, uh, I would say organic uh, friendship developing is a better way to say networking. I like, like organic <laughs> friendship developing. All right, so uh, lastly, you know, three things I always ask. Uh, because I just find it interesting is one uh, coffee or tea? Decaf.
1: So coffee, but it's actually decaf because I had health problems a few years ago, can no longer tolerate caffeine. But people are always like, What you drink decaf coffee? And I'm like, I still really like coffee. So there you hey, go right? decaf the coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right, decaf coffee. Uh,
0: <laughs> next one. What did you? Out of bed each day. What's a quote, a motto, song? What gets you like pumping your fist as the best writer in the universe?
1: Oh my gosh, yes. So I have been like obsessively this past couple weeks listening to the Hamilton soundtrack. And so I'll get up and be like, you know, the song, I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm just like, not throwing away my shot, right? For like, you know, to bring the book out, like to do all these things, right? I'm not, I'm going to like, you know, like, so whenever there's a moment where I'm like, should I do this opportunity? It's just like, yes, like I'm not throwing away the shot, right? So that's been pumping me up lately. (laughs)
0: Love that. Love that. Love that. And that's something else. Words of wisdom from my mom I sometimes share on here is one. You never know your limits until you hit them. So don't <laughs> say no. To uh, yeah. you know, ease it, especially as things become more and more challenging in 2020 going into 2021. If an opportunity comes your way, take it. <laughs> like, ah, I, that's a that's, that's good, that's good point. I, I love that you bring that up. And um, last is uh, a piece of advice, a tip, uh, anything for anybody listening.
1: Yeah. So I work with a lot of writers, as you said, or aspiring writers. And the question that I get the most often, or like the obstacle is people say like, "Um, but who am I to be a writer? Or like, why do I think that somebody would find my story interesting? And what I say to them is this idea, and I feel so strongly about this, that your desire to write is a calling to write. And it's like, plenty of people go through their whole life with like, it never even occurs to them to write anything. And so if you have the desire to write and you feel pulled toward it, like that means that you're supposed to do it. It doesn't mean that like, you're going to become like the next, like, you know, Nicholas Sparks, like maybe, maybe not, but like, there's so much more, like writing is rewarding in and of itself. Right. And so even if like, you never publish anything. And like, we all hope that you will. But anyway, my point is that your desire to write is a calling to write. And so if you want to write, just do it. Like, don't wait for permission. Don't wait for someone to tell you that you're really good. Just start, just start where you are.
0: Your desire to write is your calling to write. I'm going to, yeah. that's going to be my motto for today. For the rest of the day, I'm going to yes. be singing. I'm like, you know what? That's great. Uh, love do it. you have an upcoming event or anything for anybody listening? any? any you want to plug anything? What, what do you got coming?
1: So next Thursday, which is I think the 19th, the 18th, the 19th. Anyway, next Thursday night, I am part of an event called Women Writers in Conversation with Laura Allnut, who is a fellow Woodhall Press author and Stephanie Harper. So the three of us were all went through the Fairfield MFA program. We've all had books come out in the past few months. And uh, we're, we're just going to hang out. We're going to answer questions. We're going to share about our process. And if you come follow me on Instagram, I will have a link to that in my bio shortly.
0: Excellent. And I also saw that event, uh, and it's on the Woodhall Press Instagram as well. Uh, so please be sure to go to that event. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and be sure to also just check out Brooke online, uh, you know, at Brooke Adams Law. And if you have any questions, anything on here that you found uh, interesting that you'd like us to talk about in the future, or uh, you'd like to be a guest on the show, email me at david at uh, Yeah, and that's it. Thank you again for being here.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Steven.